the toughest part starting out too is like knowing how the numbers work or what numbers to use. I joke with a buddy of mine that we went to MBA together and school was so much easier because like in these case studies, they just, they gave you all the numbers you need already. But in real life, you have to go freaking figure it out on your own. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Jason Xiao. Jason is a real estate investor and developer and spoke to us about development on episode 77. And in this episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. Recently, I've been getting a lot of off-market development deals, but I don't know what to do with them. So I asked Jason to walk him through the steps that he takes to quickly evaluate if a development deal is good or not. It was a pretty fun exercise, and it's something that I never saw on any other podcast or YouTube video, so I wanted to share it with you today. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday, and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com. Enjoy! All right, thanks so much for coming back on the show again. Jason, quickly introduce yourself for everyone who doesn't know who you are. Hey, Sean, how's it going? Good to be back. My name is Jason Shao. For those of you that uh, didn't listen to the other episode where I was on for the first time, I am a developer. I have a small team that help us with our development projects, and I have a small team that help us and other folks buy, sell, and invest in real estate as well. So I started, I've been in real estate about 16 years now. I started with a two-bedroom condo house hack or before house hacking was a term back in college and kind of just grown over the years to now where we're doing, you know, 20, 30 million dollar development. That's super exciting. So today what we're going to do is something pretty interesting. Uh, We're going to learn how to do development deals because in most podcasts, we talk about buying single family homes, probably out of state somewhere that the properties are like $100,000. And yeah, you could do pretty well here. But we're Bay Area investors, right? We want to try something more interesting and something more advanced. So let's go through the process. If we got a development deal, how can we evaluate it? What's it worth? And how do you get it to its full potential? Before we get started with an actual case study, can you go ahead and just kind of tell us what are the steps to doing a development deal? With real estate, whether it's development or just multifamily or any investment, really, I like to start with the big picture and start from the top down and drill down from there. So for development, the first thing I would probably look at is the market. And there's there's a lot of factors, you know, who are the major employers? Is the market growing? How's the schools like? And, you know, I might start getting into kind of how the neighbors or how the communities in general feel about development. You know, certain areas definitely are a lot more nimby than others, <clears throat> Berkeley, you know. But how do you how do you evaluate that? It's just that you know beforehand. Okay, like I like working in Sunnyvale versus Berkeley. Yeah, some some's from experience and some's from talking to other folks. Um, or a lot of times, you know, if you go on certain sites or certain um you know, next doors, like those kind of things. You just, you can, you can tell, like, it's not really any secret that people in Berkeley hates development, right? And certain neighborhoods are a little bit more pro or they are a little bit more progressive or just people don't care as much. And it, it does shift from time to time, you know, from every local election for planning commissioners or neighborhood councils. It definitely, I think politics in general is a bit of a pendulum that, 
uh, whether on the local, state, or national level, it, it swings back and forth a little bit. Do you have like top favorite cities you like to work in and top hated cities you don't want to work in? <laughs> I I like Sunnyvale a lot. Um, and Walnut Creek's been pretty good too. But uh, yeah, generally, if it's in San Francisco or Berkeley, I don't, I don't even want to touch it. Because there's a huge process that has to go through to get whatever you want. And that could take a long time for an unfriendly city, right? Yeah, and San Francisco is not necessarily like super nimby. It's just like the the, pro- the process is so long, and planning department might tell you something different than the building department. And the left hand's not talking to the right hand, and there's a lot of steps involved, those kind of things. And then Berkeley, yeah, like even if it's done by right, and they just like, no, I don't want this cast a shadow over my weed. I don't want you to do this. <laughs> right, and then once you do it, yeah, okay. So then once you get a deal, it's in a city you like, let's say Sunnyvale. Now what? So I would probably start looking into what kind of houses or developments are in the area. You know, I, I think, again, I would um, go to the planning department and look up any other development, major development in the pipeline, um, start getting look at sort of what kind of houses are in the area that I'm looking in. You know, are they single-story house, two-stories, three-story townhomes town kind of thing? In general, you probably want to try to, you know, as a flipper too, you you try to stay in like that three bedroom, two uh, bath area. But, you know, I'll kind of gauge like, okay, do people in this area probably prefer a bigger yard or are they okay with a townhome with no yard and three stories kind of things, kind of a ballpark average square footage? Because I think... One of the mistakes I do see from time to time with people is, you know, they look at the, I know we'll get into some of the technical terms here a little bit, but, you know, they take at the, they take the FAR or floor area ratio and say, oh yeah, I can build a 4,000 square foot house and that's what they build. But everything in that area is 1,800 or 2,000, right? Like you're just building way bigger house that people don't want. Right. You, I mean, you want to make a comp, right? You want to build stuff that people are buying in that area. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is just looking at what the product type that's appropriate for the area. And we're talking about residential development, right? So whatever is currently on the property is pretty much irrelevant. You're basically buying the lot. Right. I mean, most of the time you're buying the lot or you're buying a piece of rundown house that you, you're going to demo anyway. So you mentioned that you look in the pipeline that the city planners have already approved, right? Mm-hmm. How do you do that? So every city is a little bit different. Some does a much better job than others. Uh, and this is one of the reasons I like Sunnyvale too. Sunnyvale has essentially published spreadsheet on all the planning projects that the plan department has in the pipeline and kind of what states they are, who the planners assign, or what the latest status is. A lot of cities, too, they'll have some kind of GIS mapping that they show you, okay, you know, here's, we're put it, planning to put in a specific plan, or here's a big development that Lenar's working on, or City Ventures working on. Um, so you can kind of see a little bit, big picture, quickly, where or what's drawing other people's attention. And uh, what was GIS again? It's a mapping software, basically. So so Edry is the company that um, they're based out of Redland. They does ArcGIS and a lot of you know geographical mapping software kind of thing. Some cities utilize their software to essentially overlay or point out 
where the interesting developments are going on. And then, you know, some people just has a, has a list with a couple of links or some of the applicants, they don't go to that step to actually map it out for you. So what is it? Like JS is just to show you like where you can build. It's like a, it's a map overlay that shows you like a heat map of where you can do certain projects? No, it's not to show you where you can do it. It was to show where it is already, like either approved or under construction. Oh, I see. I got it. So it shows you like the lots that have something on it, right? Yeah. That's where you can also see where the city has approved projects in the pipeline? Um, no, not necessarily. It's like the mapping that's, again, not every city does it, but it's just to kind of summarize or highlight noteworthy mm-hmm. bigger development. They're not going to show every little one, obviously, that's in the pipeline. So, I mean, I'm trying to go on the City of Sunnydale's like, website. Where do you even go to see like what they approved recently? Yeah, usually it's under planning development. Uh, so under Sunnyvale, if you go to, I think it's the business and development section, and then there's a subsection that says projects in Sunnyvale. And then that one, they have essentially new development updates in both PDF and Excel, and then they have a new development project map. Ah, I see it. So you look at this map and you say, cool, there's a lot of approved projects of a certain type near my target lot. This one seems like Sunnyvale would approve my project if it's similar to. Is that the thought process behind it? It's just a high level of thinking for me usually. The first thing you can use is, okay, if there's no development going on in the city, maybe it's not worth it. If it's a lot as well, that, that might kind of make me worry a little bit. But later down this underwriting stage, I'm going to start looking at the permit numbers and um, what I think the deliveries and vacancies or absorption rates are going to be. If, if to, like in my opinion, I think Oakland in the near uh, or medium term, it will get into like an o- oversupply situation where, you know, you might not get the same kind of rent that you were hoping for because there's too much competition. Okay, well, let's pretend that we don't think about that for now. So once you have all this kind of like approved in your mind that Sunnyvale approves projects similar to what you want to build, now what? How do you evaluate this lot? Yeah, so the next step for me, I would start going into basically what what the zoning is. I look up the zoning map, where it is. And that's also in like the city of Sunnyvale's website, right? They should have a zoning map somewhere. Some cities, it's fancier. You could just plug in the address and then they'll pull you up on the interactive map right away and tell you what what the zoning is. And some cities, it's like a giant PDF and then you have to zoom in to the right place and see what color and then find the legend that coordinates with that color. You know, it seems like Sunnyvale's, from what I'm looking at right now, I don't see a search bar here. From that map you're looking at, probably. So Google Sunnyvale zoning map instead. There should be a different one. Oh, you can search it by name, but not through the map. Got it. I mean, this other map is more for to show, like I said, ongoing or future or already built uh, project. So earlier in the show, you told me about a property in Sunnyvale and I looked it up right now. The zoning is R3 and it tells you right now like the lot square feet, the units that's that it has right now. Right. So once I have the zoning, I'll look up the zoning code. Again, every city is different. Some does much better job of summarizing or spelling out the information that you need. And some it's buried in the, in the, co- in the municipal code that you have to go dig for it. And essentially this step, I want to start 
get a sense of what are my setbacks, what's my floor area ratio or density, like how much structure I can put on this lot, basically. Okay, so for this exact example, it's an R3 lot. So here I'm reading like 20 foot setback minimum for the front, uh, six and nine for the side setbacks, 15 for the rear, uh, rear setback minimum is 20 feet, max lot coverage is 40%, you know, height, but it also says minimum lot is 8,000 square feet. And I see that this one was like a 31,000 square foot lot. Mm-hmm. So it was a plan to just subdivide this thing out to different parcels or what was the plan originally? Yeah. So this one is R3 and to subdivide it, that follows slightly different rule. The instinct for a lot of people to think is, oh, well, I, let's say we have 32,000 square feet and minimum lot is 8,000. So I should be able to divide this into four lot and build four houses. And that's actually not quite how it works to create a lot pretty much always um, aside from the lot area requirement, um, you also have a frontage requirement. You have a certain width that you need to have for your frontage, right? I mean, this one is R3. It's probably not the best example, but let's say it's like a regular single family home. And the width of it is 160 feet. But the city says, oh, in order to subdivide this or to create a lot, you need at least 100 feet of frontage then in this case, you can't really subdivide this, right? Because you need at least 200 feet of frontage. Um, However, if the city says you need 80 feet, in this case, 160 feet, you can split that into 80 and 80 and create essentially two lots out of it, assuming Mm -hmm. you can fill all the other requirements of, you know, minimum square footage and, and whatnot. So a lot of times, you know, people might have a regular, say, the corner lot, they can't fill that requirement from the regular street, but their lot is actually pretty deep. So they'll actually say, oh, okay, well, I'm going to change the address. So on my address, instead of on 1st Street, is going to be on A Avenue, and I'm going to subdivide it this way because they don't care. Right? Like whatever house is on there, they're going to demo it pretty much. So then what? So you can see how many properties you can build on it based on the zoning and what you can estimate you can subdivide then what so yeah at this stage you know i'm just trying to get a high level like get a sketch of ballpark what i could potentially put on this i don't necessarily need an architect at the moment yet but if you want to spend that money sure go for it so i'm just trying to understand back of the napkin calculation for what i have to pay for this lot how much can i build how much can i potentially resell it for does this deal make sense kind of thing and then what do you use to calculate like build cost well build cost varies a lot by by cities um and it kind of depends on how nice of a thing you're putting in and what kind of foundation you know if if the lot is on there's hills involved then it's obviously going to drive up your your cost because you have to grade the lot or do some cut and fill or hopefully you don't need to have special foundations or anything like that for this particular property what were your plans for that and how did you estimate costs initially we're starting at 275 uh, dollars a square foot hard cost labor material um and actually after talking to a few friends and architects and you know people there that in this field we actually adjusted down a little bit to 260 but we still wanted to use 275 just because construction costs were were going up and in general too i i create like a sensitivity 
analysis or sensitivity chart and essentially how well a project does. The top two variables is your bill costs and your resale value. So I just, you know, put it on a grid. Okay, let's say my bill costs increased by 10, 20, whatever percent is versus okay, say if I actually was too conservative, how would my returns look like in different scenarios if my bill cost is higher or lower versus my resale value is higher or lower? And, you know, we kind of stress tested this way. Well, let's talk about this particular property. Like this is four potential units, probably less, right? Because it's uh, only 31,000 square feet and it's probably not like, like you said, perfect for frontage. So you can probably only put three properties or you can probably only subdivide three properties here. So this one's R3, and this is what I was referring to earlier. You actually can't subdivide this because the frontage is not long enough. And because it's R3, it wouldn't make sense to put single-family homes on this. This should kind of tip you off. Like, There's a lot of these three-story townhome developments going on in Sunnyvale. Classics is putting them in there and dividend homes. And I don't know, Lennar is doing a lot of these in Sunnyvale and other areas too. So if we follow that and the lot coverage guideline, um, we were actually planning to put in 15, roughly 1,200 square foot townhomes, three-story townhomes. Oh, so for a townhome, you don't need to subdivide a lot. Townhomes follow more of a condo guideline or law. Essentially, you're not subdividing a lot, um, but you're putting a condo map that overlays, you know, that spells out. If you're the owner of Unit 7, this is what you own. You own, like, the land beneath you for this town home and a share of the common area kind of thing. I see. And so when it says density here, it says 24 DU per AC. What does that mean? That stands for 25 dwelling units per acre. Typically, this works more for, say, multifamily or apartment units. And then if you follow their guideline, then it's saying... It's 17. So saying the max you can put on this is 17. Or, yeah, max is 17 units. You know, this is one of those things too where once you get more serious, you should have an architect sketch it out. Like your numbers might not actually work out because of, say, parking requirements or open space requirements or something where there's more constraints than than just a theoretical math calculation. And once you have all that kind of in your head where you say, okay, I can probably put 17 units here. And they can all sell in Sunnyvale for, let's say, $1.5 million, maybe, as your ARV. And you know that it's like 270 per square foot for your build costs. And each one of them, you said, was, what, 1,500 square feet? Uh, for these ones, we were planning for small. They're like 1,200 square feet. So 1,200 square feet times 290 is your hard cost. Uh, where do your soft costs come into play? And how much does that cost? Yeah, so soft costs at a high level... Depending on the size of the development, if it's just one house, I'll probably budget for like 20%. 20% of what? 20% of your hard costs. Okay. And so that goes into your soft costs, meaning your architect, your engineers, all your permits and whatever fees, other fees that you might have to pay with the city. But once I have the property under contract, I will want to have everything spelled out and every line item out there to make sure I'm not way off on my impact fee schedule kind of thing. Well, it's 1,200 square feet homes, right, that you're trying to make? And you're trying to make 17 of them. And each one is about 270 per square foot. So we're about like $5.5 million for your hard cost. Yeah. Uh, then you multiply that by 20%. Well, so in this one, because it's a bigger 
project, you know, we're not having to custom design every single unit. I would be more comfortable with like a 15% or, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily go down to 10%, but there, you know, if you have good relationship or no good architects, maybe you could save a lot of money. But once I'm have it under contract during the due diligence phase, that's when I'm actually firming up all those numbers. But at this level, I just need a quick go or no go decision. I'm okay with trading off time for some looser numbers. So, I mean, in this loose number, it's still around 830K. Does that sound like reasonable for your soft cost though? Yeah, I mean. So I, what part of like, I don't know, where does money go to and what are the typical costs in terms of breakdown? I mean, your architect will be one of the big ones and engineers won't be as bad, but a lot of it goes to cities. Like I think for this one, we when we were looking at it, I don't remember the exact number, but impact fee alone for Sunnyvale, it was like over a million dollars. Wait, what is that? What's impact fee? It takes different forms. Sometimes it's like for for traffic impact and sometimes it's for impact of like displacing homeless people or they want to have extra funds to create homeless housing kind of thing. Got it. I remember seeing something like where every like car you bring into this project, you have to pay a certain amount of money. That's like a traffic impact fee, right? Yeah. So, you know, sometimes the city, especially if you're building apartments, they'll say, okay, well, you need to allocate X amount of numbers for below market rental kind of thing. And if you don't, this is the money you have to pay because we have to build it now. Wait, so a million dollars is way more than this 830 number that we ballparked. Yeah, this one is one of those examples where, you know, we had a high level, but then we went back and like, oh, wait, the impact fee is way higher than we thought, but actually it was still fine. There were a lot of me on the building on this one. But the impact fee, does that include, I guess, paying for the permits? No. It's just the impact fee of doing it. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so if we if we imagine, let's just say soft costs, okay? Forget the impact fee for now. Uh, how much do you think you would pay an architect to draw up all this stuff? It's hard to say, you know. 500000 for an architect for this project? Probably not that much, right? It depends on how many like floor plans you're trying to do. Ballpark, I would say like maybe 200 k Okay, that sounds pretty reasonable. Let's assume it's like three different floor plans and they're just one lot, 12 units, and they're all like kind of attached to each other like a townhome. That sounds reasonable, 200K. And then maybe your structural engineer is another 100K? Yeah, so for this one, we were looking at the BMR in Luffy was over a million. And then... um, Sorry, what's that? BMR? Below market rental. Oh. Below market rate. And then in lieu, meaning like L-I-E-U instead of, right? Million dollars. Yeah. Jeez. So architecture and engineering both, and engineering includes MEPs and structural. We were both calculating about 250 each. What's MEP? Um, MEP stands for mechanical engineering and plumbing. So those are the guys that design your HVACs and how your house is going to be wired and how to plumb the toilets and sewers and all that. So they're drawing all the diagrams to show where the wiring goes, where all the plumbing goes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So 500K total for like your those two designs? Yeah. Okay. What kind of fees do you pay the city? Like what kind of permits and stuff do you need to pull? This is usually for later down the stage, but yeah, like they'll have a chart or you um, a diagram. But I think this one for the schools, we're looking at like thirty, forty thousand dollars. Wait, you have to you have to pay for the schools? Well, I mean, real estate tax—that's how the schools are funded. Oh, got it. When you pay for your property tax. That's how the schools are funded. And I believe most of uh, the proceeds from lotteries are go- are funding the schools. 
So, which is kind of ironic, I personally find, because people that play the lottery are bad at math, but Jeez. maybe that's their penalty. But anyway, that's off topic. <laughs> so wait, so just to build it, you have to pay another 30000 right? That's like another fee. Okay. It's fees out the butt. Keep going. What, what other fees are there? Uh, so I think for this one, yeah, we, there's a school developer fee, there's regular permit, plan checks, there's a parking park impact fee, there's a traffic impact fee. Survey environmentals, we included that in the regular engineering. And then, you know, some legal fees we would need to spend to set up the fund to raise the investors and all that. Demolition, when you're getting ready to tear the buildings down. Let's say you have all that paperwork done. Then you go to the city and you ask for, what do you ask for? We've done some quick math, right? Like we want to see if this is a good deal or not. But once we actually have it under contract, there's a lot of work you still have to do to make sure that this lot is developable because there's a lot that our eyes can't see. It's just like a pile of dirt, right? Like we don't know what's underneath and all that stuff. If it's big enough of a development, if it's just a single family home, we probably won't care. Uh, But still nice to get like a survey to understand better what the soil condition is like. And then any kind of liens or easements or encroachments on the property that anything that might impact your the title of your of your property. Most of the cases, it'll, it'll be fine. You'll you'll be, you'll have utility service, public utility service. But if it's more remote, like say up in the hills of Los Gatos or East San Jose, then you want to make sure you can get service or budget for it. You know, if you have to dig a well or for a septic tank or i don't know it's not ideal but i've seen people treat their own sewers on site more for like mobile home park those kind of things and then while you're under contract to either you pay for it or the sellers might have already you want to look at your natural hazard disclosures and so you want to see if you're in a floodplain or liquefaction zones and we we care about this because again this affects what kind of foundation you might need or what you know how how stable are these houses going to be and more so in OA too like there are these like fault lines I think more so in East Bay you might have to worry about it in Bay Area you want to be careful where the fault lines are if you're really close to fault line the city's going to want you to dig a really big trench to make sure if if a big earthquake hits the house is going to be okay once you have all these studies and everything's okay then you you go to the city and work on that portion of it so you have to have your architect and engineering plans all done first before you go to the city right yeah they'll tell you what you what you need to do so for a bigger development like this um the first step is you need to do a tentative track map and that spells out okay where are where am i putting the units and some preliminary designs on you know they'll check for the appropriate setbacks that they spelled out and a lot of these other requirements and you know how residents are supposed to be pulling in and out of the lot they'll do some preliminary reviews with you kind of thing every city is a little bit different too you know in sunnyville in this case uh i think because of the size you will have to go to like a planning commission and so for for these kind of meetings they'll send out notice to the to the neighbors you might have gotten them before too where they say, oh, this is the proposed development. We're having a hearing on so such and such date. Um, and usually people that come, they're the ones that post it. Most people don't care. Some cities, they'll require you to go to city council as well. Or, you know, if maybe people, there's a lot of negative comments, they might require you to go through an appeal process, those kind of things. 
Okay, but that's just to get your plans approved, right? And then let's say you go to the what do you call it again? Planning commission. Yeah. So let's say you got your tentative track max approved.、Um, usually, that stage you don't need to go to planning commission. It's like when you're actually having your tra- regular mapping approved, you'll go to planning commission, and then say that passes. They're okay with the, the schematics of your of your design and where you're going to put the townhouses. After all these is approved, then you go for plan check with all your construction documents and design documents that your your、uh, architect and <clears throat> all the engineers have put together for you. And what's like the timeline for all this? Because I feel like it's going to take a long time to get all your stuff approved to the city, right? Like, let's imagine you close January first,、mm-hmm. and then you start doing all your work. How long did you take to create that track map? Because you think, because you said that's first, right? There's a lot of variables. One is how quickly the city works. Two is like how good your architect is. If your architect is crap, then yeah, like you're gonna have a lot of comments, a lot of changes you have to make, and multiple resubmittals, right? Well, let's talk about like it'll take him an average of two weeks or so to a month to create your track map for the architect, and then they submit, and then how long will take to go to planning? Optimistically. Uh, we were looking at nine months, but we were probably looking at year or a little bit over, like say fifteen months. But I think what's good about Sunnyvale as well is that you can pay a little bit extra and go sit down with them to go through a preliminary review, so you can get that feedback earlier. Because if you submit, they essentially have a month to give their feedback to you, and then you have to make all these changes. But if you can get that, get those comments right away and go. Hey, here's a sketch. Like, can you just give me my give me my comments now? So when I actually submit, it will just be that much better. Again, this is just for Sunnyvale. I'm sure there are other cities that does this too. If not, you can maybe try to push them for it a little bit. The key is to have those feedback as early as possible. It's it's like a production line, right? Any rework you can eliminate later down the line just be that much better. So. In this case, yeah, if we thought if we could get the preliminary feedback early and everything was going smoothly, we didn't. We're not going to have a bunch of back and forth and resubmittals. Maybe nine months we can do it, but we were budgeting a year. So let's go through it again one more time. It seems like there's two big meetings, right? One is after you have your track map planned out, they approve that, then you send them all your architectural designs, structural, and、uh, what's it called, like the electricity wiring and your plumbing plans, right? Actually, I'll say there's three big stages to build a home. The first part is dealing with the planning department, and that's still very more on a high level. Okay, where are the designs? Where are you putting the townhouses? How are people getting in and out? Do you meet all the requirements、uh, in our zoning standards or our zoning ordinances? Once you get past that, you go deal with the building department, and the building department are going to be nitpicking on okay. Does your house have appropriate voltage or plumbing? Wise, what kind of material you're using? Or some cities have very strict, like your roof are supposed to be at a certain angle, and all these other things. Some neighborhoods are even more pickier. They say, "Oh, you can only use these kind of three kind of roofing materials." And、uh, once you get through planning, you're dealing with the building department. That's when you actually get your building permit. Once you have the building permit, then you're dealing with the GC and the contractor to actually getting it built. Got it. But all this is assuming your property is already subdivided appropriately, right? Like, imagine some other scenarios where it's not zoned correctly, and you have to subdivide. That just takes even more time, right? Yeah. If the zoning is not appropriate, like 
if the zoning is not adequate or not appropriate, I wouldn't, unless it's a sizable project or I can present a good case to city, I wouldn't even waste my time to try to get its own chains. Yeah, because we were looking into that, right? And it was like $10,000 just to apply, right? Your application fee is $10,000. And if they say no, you're out. <laughs> yeah, and it and you know, it is a very time-involved process for this, the planning staff. To be fair, they don't necessarily want to do it, and I don't necessarily want to. It's probably not worth my time either if it's a tiny, tiny project. When he says nine months, it's mostly because like your architect needs a month or so to create their stuff. Like Then you submit it to the city. That takes another month or so for them to actually bring it to an actual meeting where they, where they meet up. And then they might have comments and back and forth. And that's why it just takes longer and longer and longer, right? And you know, sometimes at the planning commission meetings, maybe they don't like what you have proposed and you have to go back and change it. Or, you know, there could be a number of things that it's not unheard of that you have to go to planning commission multiple times or city council multiple times either. Okay, let's go back and let's evaluate a deal. Okay, let's assume that we have a property, let's say San Jose, it's like half an acre. How do I know if this is a good deal or not? Because because right now I have these these stats, right? I don't know what to do. So step one would probably be go to the city's website and check out that particular parcel's zoning. Yeah. So I mean, if we can, I guess we'll try to summarize here, right? Like, yeah, exactly. I come I come across a property. I come across a lot. The first step is to determine what can I build here, and that's why we're looking up the zoning to see what's the, I mean, people use highest high and best use a lot. Uh, some people hate that term, but basically you're putting on your developer hat and determining what's the best use of this property or this parcel. And then trying to figure out how much you can make from it, how much it costs, and then back in on the numbers, right? What you would like to build, what's the best thing to build, then you crunch numbers back of the napkin. Okay, does this really work or not? And if it does, submit your offer, get it under contract, do your due diligence, making sure nothing's going to hurt or drive your performa crazy. Or like if you have to use special foundation or you have to rebar it way deep to reinforce it, like that's going to drive up your cost, right? And what is your like desired profit again? It just depends on the kind of project that we're we're doing. If we're building an apartment, essentially, I want to hit one percent over the prevailing market cap rate. In terms of like when you're actually making the the net, like what is your desired net? I mean, if we want to keep it simple, like you know, I aim for twenty five percent IRR if I can. But most of the time, right now, you know, we're looking at like eighteen or twenty percent kind of stuff. Okay, got it. So another thing I want to ask you too is like, what what does entitlement mean? I hear that term thrown around a lot. In short, it's just the approval from the city or the agencies to allow you to build what you want to build. So basically, you should already have a property that's zoned appropriately, and you already paid for all the plans from an architect or whoever you use, and then you actually get it passed by the city and approved, right? That's entitlement? You follow the city's guideline, the steps, you submit your application and all the documents that they're requesting, and if necessarily go through some kind of public hearing feedback mechanism and get the blessings from the neighbors and the city says i now bless this project go forth and erect this structure kind of thing and does that mean going through planning department and building or just planning 
A lot of people just call it like different things, but you should be planning and building department. So that's why when they say shovel ready, it means it's been through building. Shovel ready or ready to issue RTI. That means like, yes, planning has already gone through it. Building's already gone through it. This is, you know, we have the stamps and we have to stack a permit that you can ready to dig your shovel into the dirt kind of thing. Have you ever heard of people who just like subdivide lots and then sell it? Is there a way to just entitle it like that way? Like, oh, these are already entitled to be subdivided? You mean like Chris Proto? Is that what he does? Well, not anymore. He's he's stepped up his game. But yeah, like there are people that if they never go vertical, they just get the entitlement and then they sell it for a million dollars worth more, whatever amount, because that's not their expertise or that's not their game, right? Like, Yeah, but was he actually like subdividing lots and stuff or was he just... He was just entitling, right? He was just like putting up uh, and drawings and getting them through planning and building, right? Get entitlement doesn't always mean like subdividing the lot. I think it's the same idea. But for example, this R3 lot, your tentative track map essentially is kind of what you're doing with your subdividing. It's just on a technical or legal term, you're not true subdividing, but you're just, you're spelling now where the lots or individual units are going to be. What Chris was doing was, from my understanding, was doing a lot of entitlement work, putting in the designs and getting through planning and building department. And usually you don't have to literally wait until the building department has your permit. Like a lot of times when you're pretty close through the process, you can go on market because it's going to take time for people to look and evaluate and underwrite these kind of deals to buy the property. But there's a lot going on and some people rather just build and some people they're not as well versed in the construction side of things so um or they don't have their own crew if you have your own crew you can save a lot of money this way so they're just doing the legwork and doing the entitlement and eliminating the risk and creating value that way to for other developers and especially that we were talking about uh, QOZ funds how they have a very strict deadline of 30 months to make significant capital improvements they really love buying entitled deals because they don't have to spend nine months getting their stuff entitled. They just spend those 30 months actually putting money into their projects. Yeah, so that's true. So, you know, for QZ deals, if you can build started from day one, it's less you have to worry about. Although the guidance that came out in April, the industry feedback have mentioned that where 30 months, sometimes you couldn't get your entitlement. You know, like there's stuff in San Francisco that was bought in the last in 2007, 2008 kind of thing. So they have given some leeway to say, okay, well, if your local agencies are holding up your entitlement or your permit, then it's okay if you go over 30 months. That's pretty uh, relieving to hear. So what are the things you think we should know about development? Because I'm pretty sure we talked about a lot and I'm pretty sure everyone's brain has exploded by now, mine included. I mean, everything. (laughs) Oh, man. Because at this point, honestly, I don't know if I could still say, hey, this is a potential opportunity because I still feel very, uh, very lost. So for development, you know, obviously, we're talking about bigger projects right now. If you just want to build like your own dream home or you watch too much HGTV or whatever, the process is actually not that hard. Like, I think a lot of times people, you know, I tell them my story of how I just like go down to planning department and figure this stuff out. Like, yeah, it's kind of a struggle initially. But I didn't think it was that hard, you know, <laughs> like it is definitely tedious reading through the zoning code and, or, you know, municipal codes and all that. And I would say the toughest part starting out too is like 
knowing how the numbers work or what numbers to use, I joke with a buddy of mine that we went to MBA together and school was so much easier because like in these case studies, they just, they gave you all the numbers you need already. But in real life, you have to go freaking figure it out on your own. Yeah, you have to dig. Yeah, you have to go talk to three, four, five contractors. Like, okay, what's your bill cost or ballpark-wise? What, what should I use kind of thing? But I think the first few major steps is understanding the market, high level, does the number work out or not? Um, or am I being too aggressive or just too risky of a deal? And then... I think a lot of times it is much easier to talk to a human being. They can walk you through all the steps on what you what you might need to include in your application. And I will say too, if you have a good architect and a good GC, it will make your life so much easier and way less gray hair. For sure. Where do you even find a GC for a large project like this? I mostly through referrals. Usually, if you got an experienced architect, they might be able to refer you to a couple of people, drive around in the area to see who else has done projects in, in your area. Like It depends on the scale or size of your project, too. If it's a big project, then, yeah, you probably want to talk to, like, Swenson, those kind of guys. But for smaller home, like, you know, maybe check out the permit records for the city that you're in, like who else has built in that area, and they they're probably pretty familiar with how things work in that city. All right, Jason, I feel like I've learned a lot today. Thank you so much for sharing everything you know about development. I'm sure we still have a lot more to learn in the future. Are there any last words you'd like to leave before we end the show today? Yeah, I mean, I think it's not it's not as bad as people people think, but definitely if you're in a bigger city or bigger project, it could definitely get more more complex, but you know, the first step is to understand kind of some of these zoning standards or development standards as an exercise and step by little by little, step by step, you'll understand better how things work and how to get a get a house or multiple houses built. Yeah, it's exciting, man. Let's go for some more deals that have eight figure potential. Do you have any last words for our listeners before we end the show today? I will stress the value of a good architect and good general contractors. And don't be afraid to go down to the planning department. They're actually very helpful. They're very knowledgeable as well. If you're not taking too much of their time, they're happy to kind of walk you through some of the very high level basic steps to help you get started. That's true. They are very friendly. Yeah. All right, Jason, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And uh, let's hear back from you in a couple of months when we have more questions about development. Sure. All right. Thanks. Take care. Here are some of the key takeaways from this episode. Go out there and do calculations. Budget around $270 per square foot for your hard costs and another 20% of that for your soft costs. Go to the city websites and planning department and talk to the staff there. They're super friendly and you shouldn't be intimidated if you have a legitimate question. A good architect and general contractor are the most important teammates you need. So get good referrals and work with the right people. A lot of this stuff is tedious and boring, but that's where the profit's made. I hope you like this episode. I want to do something that I never found on any other podcast or YouTube video. And you can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It'll take less than a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at seanpanrealty at gmail.com. That's S-E-A-N-P-A-N. R-E-A-L-T-Y at gmail.com. Thanks and have a great day.